This is the Simi Sarah Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. Thanks for being with us, Jill Bennett, sitting in once again for Simi Sarah. Time to start off the show with what is happening right now. We should not be afraid. I think the most straight answer is to be there, to continue our lives, to go to the terraces, to drink our coffee, to go to the cinema and so on. That is a commuter this morning on the metro in Brussels. And that's one of the stories coming out of Brussels is residents going about their business, things getting back to the way they should be. Shane Woodford is in studio with us this morning. Gord McDonald needed a bit of a break from the big segment, so you're filling in. That's <laughs> yeah. nice. Pinch hitting, as it were. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How are you doing? Good. How about you? Good. You liking the fill-in this week? Or? Oh, yes, it's, a, it's, always, it's always fun. Yeah, good. Yes. What are you reading about or, or, or seeing as far as it's, it's got to be difficult, but there we just heard from one of the, the commuters on yep. the same metro car that exploded yesterday saying no. And we even saw that the, the defiance, I suppose, in the standing up yesterday with the chalk messages on the sidewalks and people saying, no, you will not you will not change our lifestyle. You will not you will not change what we do. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a positive thing to see. And unfortunately, it's becoming a regular routine almost. I mean, we saw it after the Paris attacks. We saw it here in Belgium. We've seen it after 9-11 in New York. Uh, it seems like the terrorists go out and commit this stuff. And, and awesome that the world, in some parts of the world, there are some people in the world respond with kind of outpourings of love and support and, and strength. And we're going to stand united and that kind of thing. Um, the question that remains, though, is how do we put a stop to it? I mean, you know, hopefully we come to a point in our world where um, we don't have to respond like this in the aftermath of an awful terrorist attack where people have uh, have been killed and wounded and families torn apart and lives uh, altered forever. Um, I don't know how we get there, but uh, it would be nice if one day that that, that happened because uh, I think it's, it's growing uncomfortably close now. Uh, these used to be events that happened far from our shores, and now we're seeing them in recent years in New York and, and Belgium and Paris and places that we've uh, we've all probably been to or wanted to go to at some point in time, so... They also happened uh, without, with with large gaps of time between them. Yeah, not uh, as as yeah close together yeah. as, and I think that although it looks like uh, I'm just looking at a New York Times article right in front of me, it looks like that they've done some work here, and they're actually linking uh, two of the the person who blew himself up at the subway station and at the airport, who are brothers. Uh, they've actually done some work and tracked them and connected them to the people involved in the Paris attacks case. Uh, so it looks like there is some linkage there between the, what happened in Belgium and what happened in Paris. Uh, I'm also seeing um, on the Guardian news site, Turkey's prime minister saying that one of the attackers had been caught in Turkey in June of 2015, oh. sent to the Netherlands. But apparently Belgium, according to this, uh, according to the Turkey official, uh, the Turkish official said that Bel- Belgium ignored Turkey's warning that the attacker was a militant. And that's one of the questions, too. And even yesterday was uh, the original, the um, the Paris attacker who was arrested last Friday picked up after chatter yeah. about uh, an imminent attack, but saying no one could have known it was going to be happening in Belgium. No one could have known where it was going to happen, how big it was going to be. But then you see stories like this about yeah. officials warning other officials, this guy we're sending you this guy he's a yeah. militant where does that information go yeah i don't know and this has been uh, this has happened before as well and i actually saw another news story uh on social media today saying that belgium did have a direct threat saying listen this is coming we're hearing chatter about this uh and then just didn't act on it so and that's happened before you know after a big event uh, in the weeks and months in the aftermath we find out that there was some intelligence out there that 
um, could have forewarned officials about what was about to happen. And for some reason or other, uh, it simply was never acted on. Um, it's, it's a, it's a pretty awful situation. And we had, uh, you know, some close calls yesterday to Kambi Matumbo, uh, former NBA star was at the airport. Uh, we had, of course, had all those kids from uh, Sir Charles Tupper who were in Belgium on a field trip. Thankfully, uh, they weren't there, but, uh, I'm sure their parents for a little while were, were freaking out as I'm, as I would have been if my kid was oh, yeah. over there. Uh, and now they're being rerouted to Paris to come home uh, ASAP. So, uh, thankfully the tragedy, you know, wasn't felt by the parents here in Vancouver and, and some other people managed to get away from it. But again, it's just, you know, what happens next? That's my question. And, you know, you think that hopefully there'll be some kind of an end to it, but uh, it sounds like we're going to have something else because, um, this situation appears somewhat unresolved that there is a faction of, of, uh, Islamic radicals out there who are refusing to, uh, stop this fight. And I, I don't know how you solve that. Which is, I think, the big question here. I mean, do we just suffer through endless attacks and keep pushing back a little bit? Or are we not doing something to just figure out what the issue is and, and, and get it fixed once and for all? One of the many, many questions. Shane, we'll take a quick break. We will continue going down the list of what's happening right now. Stick with us. Hi, this is Gord McDonald from the CKNW Newsroom. You're listening to the CKNW Simi Sarah Show, and this is what's happening right now. In his 2011 campaign, Hillier was dubbed the man who wasn't there by local media after he avoided interviews and refused to participate in public forums. In a statement, interim conservative leader Ronna Ambrose called Hillier a valued and hardworking MP and a dedicated husband and father. Sad story. We don't uh, often hear about this, which is good, but a very sad story coming out of Ottawa today. Yeah. Uh, Alberta Tory MP Jim Hillier, the party confirming a little earlier this morning that he uh, passed away. Um, it kind of broke this morning at about five o'clock in the morning when Ottawa police uh, recovered a body from uh, a, a complex that houses the offices for members of parliament. Uh, we've learned pretty quickly after that that it was in fact an MP and then the Conservative Party of Canada put out a release confirming it was uh, Jim Hillier who... Um, who was 41 years old, which is uh, really young. Mm-hmm. He is a cancer survivor, uh, battled leukemia, uh, came out of that. Uh, he has a wife and four children. Um, there, I'm seeing some reports that he had some kind of a, a medical situation. I think it may have been involved in a skiing accident or, or something, but there was some kind of a, a medical situation where apparently he had to get special permission to go to Ottawa to be at the budget. Uh, and then uh, apparently passed away in his office. And there's some reports out there it's a heart attack. I, I don't want to lock that in because obviously uh, there's, you know, the doctor hasn't had a look. We need a, the coroner, the autopsy, all that kind of thing to really lock down the exact cause of death. But uh, uh, it was sad news this morning. The political community, uh, MPs from, from all the big parties uh, were unanimous in their support for uh, Mr. Hillier, passing condolences on to his family, uh, including the prime minister. Uh, today, the House of Commons uh, will have the Prime Minister and uh, S- uh, Conservative Interim Leader Ron Ambrose uh, stand up, uh, pay their respects to Mr. Hillier, uh, and then out of respect for his passing, the House will adjourn. Question period will be cancelled. All right. Yes, condolences certainly coming in from all around yeah, uh, for it, Jim Hillier. One uh, other thing to pass on, uh, since we're talking about members of Parliament, uh, Arnold Chan, who's the Liberal MP for Scarborough Agincourt, uh, has also revealed today that uh, his cancer has resurfaced, uh, and apparently he's uh, now back fighting cancer again. And it's just as you and I were chatting, Jill, uh, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, is, is tweeting out a, a message of, of support and, and courage for uh, for Mr. Chan. All right. So there you go. Uh, also uh, today, coming from Ottawa, continuing to go over the numbers from the federal budget. It's a very positive budget for uh, the West Coast. I think in Vancouver we've got funding for transit, for affordable housing, for 
our Kitts Coast Guard base and our heavy urgent urban search and rescue team, Lionsgate sewage treatment, lots of uh, important investments from uh, federal government that we haven't seen for uh, over a decade. So we're, we're certainly welcoming the news. Yeah, Gregor Robertson yesterday uh, welcoming the news. Uh, now, the big thing here that everybody had their eye on, Joe, was, the, of course, the infrastructure dollars. Uh, yes. Mayors here and, of course, other big cities across the country were all had their fingers crossed. Uh, we're looking to basically win the infrastructure dollar lottery, uh, and they came up a little short. What was supposed to be the magic fix became a down payment, um, and we got about uh, $370 million, the mayor's council figures, coming to this region, uh, which is not enough to do any of the big projects like your Broadway SkyTrain line, your light rail out in Surrey. Uh, so instead, what we're going to get is improvements to the Boston SkyTrain network and doing some of the groundwork, getting business plans together, doing some of the engineering studies on the big projects. But it won't be until 2019 and after that we see a true influx of big cash to pay for these projects. And, of course, that also falls on the other side of the federal election. Ta-da! Conveniently. Yeah, don't you so. find, and I know, Shane, you and I don't always agree politically on certain <laughs> things. Don't you find, though, this the budget, and, and we mentioned that yesterday the numbers were coming in fast and furious, yeah. and we were looking at them, but I was thinking about it last night and this morning. Would this not be like, let's say you go home and you tell your wife, honey... I'm going to build you that deck you want, and I'm going to build you that fence, and I'm going to build you that kitchen, and I'm going to build you all these things. I'm going to have to borrow money, but I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to do it for you soon. Stay with me. This is what I'm going to do. Then you come back and say, honey, I'm actually going to borrow three times the money I said I was going to need for those projects. And by the way, I'm not going to do those projects, but don't divorce me. You got to stay married to me because if you do stay married to me, I'll build you those things later on down the road. Who would go for that? Well, a lot of people do. That is the oldest political trick in the book. (laughs) Look at LNG. You know how many times we have to reelect the BC Liberals to get to an LNG? You know, we're going to have to do it at least three times. But uh, <laughs> the, the lack of outrage over the numbers, and yeah. we talked about this yesterday, well, the, 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 the real number being put forward yeah. compared to what was promised, yeah. not yeah. even close. Yeah, that, you're right. Um, it was about, what, triple, almost triple? Yeah. Uh, and I think the most worrying part for people is there's no roadmap to get back in the black. I mean, most budget documents would be like, okay, we're going to do the bad news over this year, that year, the next year, and in year five or six or whatever the case may be, uh, we're going to have... Uh, the books balance. So there's a there's a there's a course charted there, right? Uh, and that course wasn't charted uh, in the the Liberal budget yesterday. We simply don't know when the books will be balanced. Uh, that said, I mean to put everything into context, the Conservatives did table six consecutive budgets, uh, deficit budgets. Uh, so the Liberals uh, won't be alone in this. No. Um, and it's uh, also during the worst also, economic times. Yes. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, Mr. Trudeau did campaign on. A series of deficits, which the people thought was a great idea because they elected him. So they didn't, they, but they didn't, they didn't elect they didn't him elect to have him a thirty, 30 billion, billion dollar yes, deficit. That's true. That is true. Uh, but politicians not being upfront with us is hardly <laughs> new, and it's not something that uh, uh, that is specific to any particular party. As a matter of fact, it may be the most nonpartisan thing out there. That is true. All right, <laughs> we will take a break. When we come back, what's happening right now? It's an issue that affects uh, just about everybody. We'll talk about that next. Hi there, it's Willie from Willie in the Morning over at Rock 101, and you're listening to Simi Sarah's show on CKNW, and this is what's happening right now. So we're looking at all of those issues, and the beauty is that, you know, none of these projects will be finished in the next year or two, so we have some time. Time, time. We have nothing but time, <laughs> according to the provincial government. Well, in, in a way, they're correct. And what we're talking about here is the, the tolling policy. A chorus of political and business leaders in Metro Vancouver have been asking for tolling equity. In essence, we got the Portman and the Golden 
uh, golden, I was going to say golden Ear. gate, golden, <laughs> golden, golden ears, golden <laughs> ears bridge, uh, by the way, which was built in my personal opinion, about 20 years before it was actually needed. Nobody's using that no, bridge. No. Uh, it's not even coming close to making any money. Neither is the port man, which actually has some traffic over it, but, but we're seeing what happens when you have a toll bridge in one place and none in any of the others. People are rerouting to the Patella. They're jamming the Alex Fraser. Uh, and I get it. As I said to John earlier today, you know, I used to live south of Fraser in Walnut Grove. I used to have to use the Portman Bridge. Since moving to New Westminster, I have never set foot on a toll bridge. No, why I just would have you? And why would I? No. And it's, it is completely unfair. I mean, when I lived in Langley, uh, I would essentially have to pay a fee to cross the Portman to go to Ikea, to go hiking in the North Shore, uh, to come downtown, uh, that people on the other side of the road, that I don't pay now living in New Westminster, <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, the long story short is that uh, Transportation Minister Todd Stone and Community and Translink Minister Peter Fassbender are now reviewing the tolling policy. As you heard there, they have some time to play with because they're taking the long view that once the bridge to replace the Massey Tunnel comes online, once the Patella replacement comes online, both of them likely being tolled, uh, then you can kind of at that stage say, okay, we have a situation here. How are we going to deal with it? Now, I don't know if they will deal with it, whether changes will come or not. Uh, but they're at least looking at the impact. And, of course, this comes in light of Delta Mayor Lois Jackson saying that, hey, listen, if the Alex Fraser becomes the only free crossing, and we've seen what happens when you have a toll bridge and a free crossing with traffic patterns, uh, that it's become a traffic nightmare and there needs to be some kind of tolling equity. So there you go. And they would have to change their policy because the policy they have right now is they must offer up one free crossing. They must they can't offer up one all free crossing, told. exactly. Can you imagine, though, what the, the Alex Fraser, like you just said, what it would look like? Yeah, it, With would, a, everything, it, would be, it would be a gong show. It would be the, it's probably it's a, probably a gong show now, but yeah. t- times that times 10. Yeah. Because you look at what people do to save a buck. And I always use this example. TransLink itself admitted the gas tax does not work because people are driving all over Hell's Half Acre to save a few bucks on a tank of gas by going to Aldergrove in the United States, which doesn't produce any gas tax revenue back into the region. So therefore, it's a declining tax base. Well, if people are doing that to save a few cents on a, ga- a tank of gas, that pales in comparison to what you would save by dodging the portmanteau. Literally. <laughs> I mean, that's like 10 yeah. bucks a day that you save if you can get around that bridge. Yeah. If you can. And imagine what the toll is going to be on whatever replaces the Massey Tunnel. If it's not done until yeah. whatever year, and yeah. they're saying it's going to be five or six years, we have all of this time, yeah. it's going to be four or five bucks a crossing if they don't address yeah. this now or come up with some better way. Yeah, so it's kind of a crux. If you're talking about traffic flow patterns, then one toll uh, that's fairly equitable for all the bridges, people are just going to say, okay, they're going to pay it or not, but I'm going to at least drive a straight line. I'm going to go here to there without trying to get around something. Uh, uh, The other side of that coin is is how do you make money and actually service uh, the payments on those bridges and the debt on those bridges? Because as we're seeing with the Portman, uh, that bridge has been an absolute failure uh, in producing any kind of significant revenue stream. It's bare, It's not even servicing its debt at this point. Yeah. Well, so, And now you add two new bridges to that and all of the debt payments and all that kind of financing on top of that. So how do you deal with that? So it's a complex issue. We're going to see more guys like that. Remember the guy that made his car like a James Bond mobile and had the license plate that yeah, he could the flip up over? when he was yeah. driving over? That was kind of brilliant. It was. You gotta, I mean, he was, he was, you know, fraud and, fraud, and totally, yeah. ripping off the system. But, but still, Dukes, you that could... was a Dukes of Hazard thing. I remember seeing that in Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> exactly. The Duke boys, they're smart. All right. Well, speaking of, uh, of guys who might have a bit of a different perspective We're on talking things. man and tree, man, man and tree. And, tree. Yeah. and we're not making fun of nearly five hours oh, now. Oh, Traffic is a mess. I'd avoid this area if you can. Police have shut down the area around 4th and Stewart as negotiators try to convince that man to come down from the tree. What he's doing is dangerous and disruptive. And again, yeah. not he's, making fun of him. No, but he's been up there for almost a full 24 hours yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, it's sitting and it's, in the top of the tree. I've been watching the Como live feed, which is fascinating. The camera guy is literally just doing a, a running dialogue 
uh, the entire time. He's even answering any question tweeted at him. He got into The Bachelor a little while ago. Uh, but this guy is at the top of an 80-foot-tall sequoia tree in, right next to um, uh, the what's Macy's. It? Macy's, thank you, uh, in downtown Seattle. And he's been there since yesterday morning. Do and we know why he's there? No, we don't no. know why. Uh, Seattle police tweeted out yesterday that the man has an issue with the tree. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what that means. But uh, this person is at the top of the tree at this point. I think we're getting into dangerous territory because he's not exactly eating three square meals and getting water and that kind of stuff. So you have somebody at the top of an 80-foot tree who may become malnourished, may become dehydrated. Uh, at what point does he lack the strength to come down on his own? How do you get him out of there? Maybe I he think packed that a we're, lunch. We're, we're looming in on safety issues here pretty quick. So uh, I hope it resolves safely. It's, it's a social media viral phenomenon. Uh, just do the hashtag man in tree or watch the Como live stream. <laughs> All right. Shane, thank you. Thank you, Jill. That is Shane Woodford. We'll break for your news headlines. We'll talk more tolling review when we come back. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk.